Welcome to the International Civil Society Center's Futures and Innovation Podcast. My name is Nyamburambogwa. I'm a communications consultant based in Nairobi and passionate about knowledge sharing and information accessibility. The Center's annual innovation report brings into focus innovations that can benefit international civil society organizations and also shows in turn how these organizations are benefiting society in challenging or complex contemporary contexts. This podcast episode forms part of the 2022 edition on civil society innovation and digital power shift, highlighting promising innovations by civil society organizations in delivering solutions for digital inclusion. In each of these podcast case stories, we really want to lift the lid on these innovations and hear directly from the people at the heart of designing and delivering them. Today, I'm joined by Rafael Denise, the lead developer and project manager for the High Frequency Emergency and Rural Multimedia Exchange System, launched by Rizomatica. Rafael, welcome to the podcast, and thank you for joining us today. So to begin with, I would like to ask you to describe who your organization is and what you do. Rizomatica is an organization based in U.S. that started working mainly in Mexico, with rural mobile telephony for communities that are located uh, far apart cities where there is no telecommunication infrastructure. And the idea of Rizomatica is to provide the tools and solutions for the communities to build their own telecommunication infrastructure. My name is Rafael Diniz. I'm a, a PhD in computer science based in Brazil right now. And uh, I started inside Rizomatica, a project to take telecommunication infrastructure to, to much more isolated communities, let's say like this, to those ones in Oaxaca, in Mexico, where Rizomatica mm-hmm. started working. So the focus of the project I'm involved is to provide the telecommunication solutions to, co- to communities in the Amazon rainforest, both indigenous communities and riverside communities that live inside the forest, right? Rizomatica not only work in the technical side, but also in the policy and advocacy, for example, in international telecommunication organizations like uh, CTEL or ITU to support new telecommunication regulatory frameworks in the countries that really allow the, the communities to build their own networks, right, and, and have no, no bureaucratic struggle. So, Just to clarify for our listeners, CITEL is the Inter-American Telecommunication Commission, which acts as a coordinator for the Organization of American States in Telecommunication Matters, and ITU is the International Telecommunication Union, United Nations Specialized Agency for Information and Communication Technologies. So the two sides, um, from the technical areas to the policy and advocacy, they work together to be able to come up with the with the solutions for the rural communities. Exactly, exactly. For example, in Mexico, we managed to really change the, 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 the laws for uh, mobile operators to, to address the, the possibility of a community network operator that can mm-hmm. work with, uh, without uh, immense charges and pretty successful in Mexico. And now we are also doing, in a way, this in Brazil, but with, with a different service and and different equipment and frequency bands also different. And so my next question brings me to why does this project 
that you have launched in particular matter? The idea is that these people in there have no access to telecommunication infrastructure at all. And some communities are like two days by boat to the nearest public telephone. It's really tough. And for example, in the dry season, in the, the upper side of the rivers, they get dry, so you cannot navigate. So some communities really stay isolated for many months. And uh, it was kind of a real need. And of course, I mean, a lot of other things happened since the, the initial idea. Now, right now, we're in a really good stage of the project where we installed it end of past month. And our first new generation system, let's say like this, in Ecuador, in, in the region close to Puyo, where there are some indigenous communities there. And this month, I'm going to Hondonia with the Caninde uh, indigenous people. The Caninde, they are in Hondonia, it's in the oh, Amazon right. rainforest in Brazil. We are really excited to really, after many years of work, to put this in practice and it's almost a dream because we, we are trying to develop this. We're developing this for many years already. And of course. Uh, unfortunately, the, the civil development of this kind of technology got lagging behind for 50 years already. And indeed, it almost many, was a forgotten technology. Yeah. Okay. It can be can be seen like this is a forgotten technology by the capitalism, no? Because people yes. in the first don't have money to to really fund the development of new equipment. And I mean, many of these communities use HF, but analog voice radios, no? they, they still use those standard mm. uh, push talk uh, HF radios, tabletop radios that you communicate with voice with a lot of noise. I mean, it's the technology is used, but it's stuck like with a technology that was developed 50 years ago. That's the single sideband amplitude modulation audio, analog modulation that is still good, but we, we can do better. And... Of course. And so as you were saying about the, this has been many years in development. And you mentioned that the communities are using, are already using analog radios for instance. So how did the idea originate to develop a more advanced interface, let's say, mm -hmm. for the high frequency or HF radios? Right. Well, the, this project, we call it to use digital transmission in HF so because people right now still use a lot of analog and the idea to transmit digital that has, of course, a lot of advantages. And uh, I first got in touch with digital transmissions in HF with digital HF broadcast in the mid 2000s, late first decade of the 2000s, some broadcasters start to transmit in DRM, that's a standard for digital broadcasting, it's digital radio mundial. And for example, many international broadcasters like Deutsche Welle, BBC, Radio China International made a consortium to develop this standard. And then when I heard first time a DRM transmission. It was from, uh, I think, Radio France transmitters from Bonaire, from Bonaire, mm -hmm. from French Guiana, I think, and from the, uh, with antennas beamed to the south. And uh, I received the transmission close to Sao Paulo with a standard DRM radio and with perfect audio with images transmission and stuff like that. Oh, wow. And, and this rise, I mean, we got very interested on in it. 
But in the end, broadcasting is important, but people also need to communicate back. And uh, at that time, I was already involved in, in a free radio in the university, Radio Muda, and there are a lot of anthropologists, sociologists also in the radio. And they were, mm -hmm. of course, very involved in the indigenous movements. Yeah. And I especially started to think how to transmit data with these HF radios. We did first trials in 2015 using a modified version of DRM to adapt in these phone radios. Let's say like this, in these radios made for analog voice. And the fact that it didn't work very well <laughs> because <laughs> these radios for voice have a lot of tunes and knobs, you know, clarifier, uh, you can change the bass of the voice and, and these things for digital really hurt uh, the transmission. And so right. at that time, in this beginning, I was not in Rhizomatic, I was kind of developing the system alone. And then in Rhizomatica, I entered in Rhizomatica and we applied to a competition from Mozilla. And then we won this project that you proposed like this. We route SMS messages over HF in an emergency scenario, for yeah. example. Then we did a demo in Mexico. Like we went to the mountains of Mexico in the middle of nowhere and sent SMS over phone and also recorded messages and sent over HF. And this was the one of the important point of the project because we received funding, a good funding, to really develop. So after that, we started Excellent. doing our own radio, our own equipment, and like more geared towards filling this gap of communication for the indigenous. Of course, our system is, is still very slow compared to standard days telecommunication systems. Like one picture takes many minutes to, to go, and but it's... <laughs> It's like an alternative. It's really disconnected to what is available commercially. So yes, yeah. it's it's definitely a viable option that has been tailored for rural communities. Actually, I wanted to ask you if you don't mind breaking it down a little bit for us who may be unfamiliar with this type of technology. How do you send images and information two ways using high frequency or HF radios? First, I think we can start from the basics. YHF radio, right? HF is a yes. frequency band that by ITU is the definition is from 3 megahertz to 30 megahertz of the spectrum. It's called short waves also, is a synonym. But this, these terms were created like uh, almost 80 years ago. So now short waves in current standards are incredibly big waves, <laughs> but it's still called short waves. This frequency band is very special because some parts of the stratosphere of the Earth, let's call it ionosphere, reflects these signals in this frequency band. So the signal goes up, up to 100 to 200 kilometers. So you can have a huge coverage area. For example, our standard coverage area is like 800 kilometers easily. I mean, with very simple antenna, very standard equipment. You can do easily 800 kilometers, 1,000 kilometers links. And, oh, wow. Um, so that's perfect for communities that are far apart. Exactly. It's perfect. In Pará, we, we did some trials there where the communities are like 500 kilometers away from the city. And we need to do this link between city and communities because in the city we have telephony, we have internet. So we can really route the data from the isolated communities through internet or through telephony network. 
Of course, we are evolving the technology because, as I said, the technology is kind of stuck in analog voice. Yeah, there's a lot to do and there's more things that can come up to improve the system. And so now that we've spoken about the technology side of this project and kind of understood the base of it, Raphael, could you talk a bit more about the communication challenges that the communities face and how this intervention helps to solve those challenges? All these technologies intervene in, in how the, the community live, right? Uh, usually right now we're working with communities that it was their aim to have the system. That, for example, some communities got internet and uh, using satellite connections. And then they got a financial problem because satellite connections are expensive and uh, you need to pay every month. Right. Mm, and, when, yeah. and, and, and they say the radio, we can talk how much we want and it's for free. The, the HF has no cost. I mean, of course, the, oper- the, the equipment cost, but no fixed cost to no provider. So the access cost has been eliminated with the use of the radios. It's more <laughs> yeah, of a one-time cost, but there's no subscription. As you were saying, for a satellite, you are paying a monthly fee. But with the radios, that has been eliminated completely. So it's a one-time cost for these communities. Exactly. It's a one-time cost. And usually these communities have an association office in a city where there is internet. For example, now in Ecuador and in the office of these communities in the city where they already have some kind of internet and Mm. they usually already have the HF antenna to talk to the people in the forest that make the bridge, let's say, to send an email. The internet is really disrupting the communities because the young people want to stay in YouTube and, and consuming <laughs> these services, Facebook and stuff like that. And many communities don't want that. So this kind of system is more focused on, on for example, email. And we are developing with the communities the next service. What will be next? A part of email. And it's good in a way because they can control better how their community work and, and how they want to, to integrate or not. They have the right not to, to want to integrate to this this public internet, right? And so so the, right, they have the option to kind of opt in for what the HAF radios will provide them with, essentially. They have an idea of what it can provide, and they know it's not the internet, but they mm. know it's more more sustainable and that they can manage their their network without relying only on them, you know, their infrastructure. For example, I I heard uh, these people in Rondonia, they wanted to have some satellite connections there, but they Mm. call it the provider concession to to sell the services. And they said, the satellite provider said, it's all gone. All the available channels are sold. So unless nobody leaves our service, you cannot add nobody else. So there is a shortage of satellite services. So sometimes it's not that it's cheaper and sustainable, but also sometimes it's the only option. That's interesting. I I didn't think that there could be an end to satellite services. So what difference is the system making for their communication? And the skills and any skills and learning communities have arisen from that. Usually our, our development plans are involve a workshop first to teach how to use the, the communication tools, how to mm-hmm. use the email. We usually recommend and install to people email client in the phone. We use Delta Chat. That is like a, an application that really looks like WhatsApp. Where instead of adding phone numbers, you add email. 
and then okay. I went to this, uh, this anime right mm. and uh, in, indeed for this kind of people that I'm working with another partner in this project specifically is WWF so our system will carry not only personal communication but very in a very relevant way also territory protection for example they can send a picture of a logging area or a mining area that's illegal and can mm. send fast over HF without waiting one day by boat for the communication to arrive and also to send a mapping data that in these communities usually they have GPS so they they map you know the even important trees that are of risky risk of extinction or that let's see they see a animal group and then yeah. this mapping information WWF also wants to use the network to exchange this data community communication right? to send a message to everybody in the community each community has like a todos like everybody at and then you can okay. send a message to everybody right this kind of services that we envisioned of course yes. we did a lot of trials but right now we are really doing the real development and with these real developments of course new needs will come from them and the good thing is that we develop all the software so we can adapt it to to different needs from what you've said the technology that you're developing and the and the solution that you're developing with Hermes is highly tailored to the specific needs of the communities you're addressing so I wanted to ask you if you can talk more about the policy around this and whether you've touched on that for this specific project. And are you, are you currently challenging some boundaries or are there constraints that you've had to work within in terms of policy? In terms of telecommunication policy, we have some problems with getting licenses. Some communities just don't use license. But sometimes the, 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 the telecom regulator, indeed, they go with the federal police and, and shut down the radios. So this is a problem. The idea is that we're trying to work with the regulator to make sure that any community can ask the license and use the system. And the license is like, it's not expensive, like $250 to get the license. And, and how long every, does the license last? It's eternal. You have to renew every year. But the renew is like, I think it's something like $50 per year. It's not that much. It's more of a bureaucracy problem, you know, because we had to hire. Right now we have an engineer that is registering in Brazilian telecom agency and knows all the path to ask the license. So we spent right now much more time hiring highly qualified engineer to ask yes. the license than in the license itself. It's important so, to look at the different avenues that you have and... And I'm sure that a solution can be found. And so Love I wanted it. to go on and ask, how has design equity been achieved and how are you factoring this in as you develop this further in terms of how have you designed um, Hermes with the community and the users that will be using it? How have you designed it for them rather than at them? And how are yeah. the users actively stakeholders? This is a good question because it's always present in other projects that deal with society, stop in this question and don't really create something useful because sometimes your user don't know what's better and what can really be done with the technology that you are developing. This telecommunication system usually a very complex system that involves mm. the, the the channel coding or the modulation, the decisions on how you build the power amplifier, 
and how you transport the the messages in an asynchronous way. And uh, this kind of decision, I already saw projects involving the society and communities that have no knowledge about it. And these projects just spend like 70% of all their budget doing iterative research with the communities of how the, the software must look like. And then in the end, they produce nothing that's useful. It's really a waste of time in the beginning of a, a technological, highly technological project that has just an idea in mind. That's just provide telecommunication for communities isolated. If you do this, you really spend a lot of resources and the people create a massive Frankenstein connecting a radio to a small computer, to an antenna. Even difficult right. for us, of course, for them, it will be much more difficult. So we already have a lot of examples of people use, like they use the HF radio, they use their phones. Usually when they go to their city, they know how to use WhatsApp. They mm. know the PPT of the radio. So based on, on, on assumptions of what we saw there, Based on a lot of few trials and errors, we developed the system with the information we, we acquired, but not okay. like di directly involving the people, but knowing what happened in the past and really focusing on sitting in the lab and developing things that really are disruptive, and not only in a society, society terms, but also in academic and scientific terms right because we use like source encoding audio that use 10 times less bitrate than any voice message just like the one we are using for image we yes. also use the the real state of the art of image encoding that can provide like 10 times more compression than jpeg so i i wouldn't say design with the user it's design with the idea in mind and right now it starts the process of Design with the user. After we have the version 1.0, now it's okay. to show the users <laughs> that they are doing this. We're doing meetings right now. We start the workshop remotely and then physically. You have to have something ready and show. Okay, it's not good. Let's improve. But if you show very early, like you spend a lot of resources without having really a complete system and it's really a, a waste of effort and time. Right. Yeah. So you found that it was it was better to save resources and come in with a baseline of an infrastructure and then understand the existing ecosystem and use that to build the first version. And so now when yeah. you have the first version, you then include the community to see how you can design for scale. Exactly. How are you factoring in building for sustainability within these communities? As you said, you have the version 1.0. So now when you're including them in the design further from this point, how are you thinking about sustainability for the future? And also, is there an improvement guideline that you're using for the, for the radios? Yes, we have our guide. I mean, we, we have resources that we are investing in improving the radio, improving the bitrate, the robustness and everything. And also for the sustainability part, we are working with partners in Brazil because we wanted to offload the production. Right now, we are soldering the boards, we're really assembling everything. And it's a massive work because this first version, we wanted everything to work. So we are building really in our houses, the radio. And okay. right now we want to offload to a, a really a large scale manufacturer, most likely in Amazon. We want to find in the free trade area of Amazon, we, we wanted to find we're looking, we're in conversations already with a couple of them to build the radio in Amazon. 
So we're really trying to, to make it more modular as possible. So let's say the, the computer board broke, you change the computer board. And this is how we're thinking of creating sustainability and at the same time building nearby and hopefully training some technicians of the air to fix the radio too. Because the radio doesn't use small components, SMB, use those big head components. So you can really change the compu- components very easily with a soldering iron and, and, and a bit of experience. But we don't right. really rely on that right now. We are providing every all the support. If the board burns, we are sending another one. Right now, we're giving all the support that, of course, after this first step, we want to start offloading it a bit. And of course, the maintenance is also very important for such systems. So if you can train people to be able to fix it, it kind of makes sure that it can last a long time. Yeah, of course. And, and right now we are giving also the, the, the email infrastructure. I mean, the back how infrastructure we are providing. Right? So no community have to configure an email service for them. We are doing this. But once a community want to own their, their own data 100%, they can use their own email service server or service but right now we are providing everything but once a community want to separate from our infrastructure they can do it yeah and so in that sense it's still there is still a design with the user and you're still factoring in when when they need support and when they don't even for the email and if they wanted to break away from your system you're still keeping in mind that you will be part of the support system thereafter. And the partnerships at the ground level are very instrumental. Yeah, of course. I mean, we we always need partners and not only the communities themselves, but also indigenous partners that are already on the field working with them. And and this is really needed for anything to, to succeed in the forest because we are tired of listening to stories that, ah, some government went there, put a lot of antennas and, one month later, the antennas broke and then they got one month of internet and then for eight years, they have nothing. Yeah, there's a lot of unfortunate scenarios like that. And so that's why definitely designing for designing for the ecosystem that already exists, it's so important. So earlier you touched, you touched upon WWF as a partner and using territory information and the mapping data of, from deforestation has been exchanged through your system. Have you seen any other impact and influence that the Hermes radio system is having outside its intended purpose? Yes, I mean, we had some contacts from people abroad, especially in countries in Central Asia, that people are interested in the technology too. We right now, we're not ready to, to provide field support for any of them, but uh, we are trying to to show the technology that we produce it, and maybe in the future we'll have other partners. But right now we want to really consolidate the system in Latin America. But our system yeah. indeed it was created for not only for isolated communities, but also for emergency situations. Like oh, it, it's not being deployed for emergency right now, but it could. Are users able to provide direct feedback about how efficient? The radio is about how efficient the transmission of information is. Yes, yes. I mean, in the central station that is indeed connected to the internet, we can log all the data and know all the metadata, let's say, like these of the transmissions. 
For example, how much it took to send an email with a picture attached. There is a web interface to configure the radio, to change the frequency of the radio, the mode, and also to send direct messages that are not emails, kind of emergency messages. And they gave a lot of feedback right. around the, the interface, the organization that sometimes is easier for us, but not for them. So give focus on some things and kind of hide some not very used parts or that will be very rarely used. And I think it, it will end very well. I mean, people manage to use and they are using. But right now, ConfNEI, that's the organization of indigenous communities from there, they're planning, for example, to send audio with information to the people, to each community every day. They're organizing what to do right now with the system. I mean, they saw it works. They are testing and now they are they are organizing themselves how they are going to use a part of personal communication this is going and coming and it's also very important you know because people to stay in of the course. forest need to be able to talk to their relatives so if they manage yeah. it's already a good thing right? exactly and that actually leads me to my next question which is how do you know if it's working what are the key metrics that you're using to track the progress and the uptake of this solution? Well, right now, what we're doing is just uh, seeing the, looking at the log of the main uh, system and we can see how many mails per day are exchanged. And also there is these special direct messages that's mostly to use if there's any problem of the email. So if the key metrics that you're tracking is how many emails are being sent per day, would you mind giving us some figures of around what are the highest numbers of emails you've seen being sent? And also, how many communities have you deployed this in the whole of Latin America? As I said, the trials we did in some communities in Acre, in Pará, and in many parts, right? But this system that's fully functional, that we, are, we put in Ecuador, seven stations, one in the city, in Puyo, and six in communities. And this is the real world development that is on right now, that's working. In the end of the month, we'll have four more that I'll go to install in Rondonia. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, now this year will be really the year of the deployment. So that the log is just the emails, but it's not only this. We're trying also to map the speed of the, 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 the propagation over the air because the, the modding is adaptive. So it, it can go faster or slower depending on, on, on how good or bad is the channel. So we're trying to optimize this also. Even if it's still in the early stages, you've learned a lot and this has been a process that you have come to over quite a number of years. And so what are your main takeaways for other organizations based on this experience? I think most things importantly is to, at least in working with these communities that are not connected to no network, no internet or whatever, is really try to think outside of this technological bubble that we live, that is always the same technologies used and it's always the, the same solution, you know, it's write an app and connect to mm. a server. I see a lot of projects there that are really meaningful in a way because people don't have connection. I mean, the internet itself cannot reach everybody, at least as fast as we want. 
So think about different digital communication forms which could use less data, maybe the same amount of data that we used to use in the 90s and to really focus on the message and mm. not on not only on, on the hype of all the internet and these commercial services and whatever. I mean, think about autonomy a bit and recover this very important conversation about autonomy mm. because uh, it's good for us to have a network that we can control. Thank you for those lessons learned. And finally, what's next for the project? I know we've touched on some of the things. Could you summarize maybe two or three points for us in terms of what are the main different scenarios that you envision for the next five years? Uh, well, I, I, what we are developing right now, and that is really our next goal, is to create a faster wideband solution for HF that really d doesn't really exist yet for, for civil purposes. And uh, with this, indeed, that we are already developing together with the development of new services on HF, I think th this will be a real alternative for people, not only in the forest, but, you know, the sailors or people in Africa doing far, just like in Amazon, right? Far away from cities or cities without much infrastructure. I think telephony over HF, but digital telephony, not the old analog one, is something we would like to reach, especially in order to create a network parallel to the internet that doesn't really rely on the the infrastructure already in place, that we can transmit data never as fast as the internet, but that really belongs to the people that they can do whatever they want. They need, yeah. And they need, yes. And let's see what the future comes. I mean, there are the, the, the Elon Musk satellites and stuff like that seem always to me a hoax, a hoax, but maybe our system will not be needed in 20 years. I doubt about it because 10 years ago, I always heard the same thing. No, but this HF thing is not needed. And then all the time I go to the field in Amazon, I see more and more that it's very needed. So, exactly. Um, it's yeah. all about designing with the user and, and, and really thinking about what it already exists even that can be adapted to rural communities and isolated communities. Yeah, exactly. And, and sometimes not only what's better for for the society living in the cities is the same as good for the communities living in rural areas, no? So, I mean, there, exactly. there doesn't need to be just one solution. Precisely. And with that, I would like to thank you, Rafael, for joining us today on the podcast. This has been a very enlightening session and we've learned so much. I'm sure that there might be a few listeners that may not have known the ins and outs of high-frequency radio, but we... We've captured that and thank you for diving deeper into this project so that everybody who's listening can learn from some of the work that you have done. Thank you, Union Buddha. You can find links to more information and resources on both this innovative work and the Center's 2022 Civil Society Innovation and Digital Power Shift Report in the podcast description. We would like to thank the Center's innovation partner, TechSoup, for kindly supporting this report. We would also like to thank the Patrick J. McGovern Foundation and the Ford Foundation for their support in making this project happen. And thanks as always to the podcast producer, Julia Passos. We couldn't do these episodes without you. <laughs>